Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Coming to you from Psalm 56, verse 11. The Bible says, In God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? In God, I have put my trust. Let me hear you say trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Today's word, this message, the subject is entitled, In God We Trust, taken from the great model of this country. In God We Trust. You really don't see cash or coin much anymore. Most of our money is done by plastic, by debit cards. Even now, it's done by our phones. And uh, But if you look at old money, which I love to collect, you'll see a phrase in Latin on it. <clears throat> it says, e pluribus unum. That's about the only Latin I know, e pluribus unum. And it's written across the scroll that's clenched in the eagle's beak on the great seal of the United States. And it's Latin, and it means out of many, one. Out of many, one. And it, reference, and it references the 13 colonies that emerged out of one great nation, Britain. That's why we have 13 stripes on our American flag. E pluribus unum, our de facto motto for the United States, has 13 letters in that phrase, also symbolizing the 13 colonies. It is still a great motto, still a great message. But in 1956, the U.S. Congress passed an act making the phrase, In God We Trust, as our official motto. And I like E Pluribus Unum, but I got to tell you, I like In God We Trust a little bit better. Amen. In God We Trust is not a phrase we started saying in the 50s, but rather it's something that has been spoken by Americans since the 1700s. And it was a phrase spoken in public, spoken in the courts, spoken between businessmen, spoken between husband and wife and families, that when times got rough and morale was low, they encouraged each other by saying, in God, we trust. In God, we trust. This motto, speaking it to each other, would boost morale, would boost faith. It would encourage people because they realized we have no power of our own, but we exist solely because we trust in God's great power. This is not just an American motto, but it is a biblical truth to trust in the Lord. It's a part of what we are and a part of what we do. We trust God. There's a lot of things we do, such as loving the Lord, which I feel the love for the Lord today. We worship the Lord. I feel the worship here today unto him. We pray unto him, we exalt him, we believe in him, and we have faith in him, amen. And he wants all of those things. But today we are focusing on another aspect of giving our heart unto the Lord, and that is our trust. He wants our trust. It's all over the Bible. We sing about it. Amen, I feel it today. We are to trust in the Lord. With all of our hearts, not leaning upon our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledging him, and he will direct your path. 
I've come to tell you for somebody who feels like you're on the wrong path or you've gotten off the path or you're turned around and going in circles or maybe you feel like you can't even move. I've come to tell you you're just one trust away from getting on the right path and getting to be where you need to be in God. Oh, can you clap your hands unto the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Trust him. You can trust him. I've come to tell all of the people here at the Life Church, all of those that are watching and listening, we are in a day and age here on this Independence Day week, 2023. God is saying to us, do not doubt God, but trust in God. Don't disbelieve God, but believe in him. Don't question him, but rather say, Lord, I trust you, your way, your will, your plan, not my will, but yours be done. I've come to tell you, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us, but all those that trust in him, he will lead and guide you. Praise the Lord. A lot of people right now, that's their feeling in their heart, and God we doubt. God is speaking to us, our motto. It's written on our currency. It's here and there. It's everywhere. God is saying, I want you to say, in God, we trust. I realize that this is the United States of America, and I thank God for freedom. Amen. We have gathered here today in the eyes of our civil authorities legally Nobody has stopped us or arrested us from worshiping, and I thank God for that because not every Christian can say that in the world. But with that, with our freedom, to be fair, we give other ways and other ideas and other thinking freedom as well here in America, and we try to do our best like our Bible commands us to dwell in peace with everybody where it is possible. I believe in the idea of the separation of church and state. I'm not a politician. I am a preacher. And I'm certainly, I believe there's a lot of people in here, you don't want me up here telling you how to vote. You don't want me up here telling you what kind of government we should have. And I'm sure you don't want your governing authorities telling and preaching to you how to get saved and what church you need to be going to. Thank the Lord. Amen. So we have that mutual respect with each other, the preachers and the politicians working together to keep one nation under God. But I feel it that there's a spirit out there that is misinterpreting what our forefathers wanted. They gave us the concept of freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. Amen. Throughout history, the greatest days of America, you look in throughout the histories of time, it is when the civil authorities and the church were close together. And I was praying about it this morning. God put me in touch with a politician here in town or somebody in D.C., somebody who wants to partner with a Pentecostal preacher to do whatever we can. I've come to tell you, don't hate this country. Don't hate the government. But everything that you can do, honor God, fear the Lord, and honor the King, and do everything you can to show loyalty to this country. God is not done with America yet. He's still got a purpose and plan. He raised us up for something good. And I believe he wants to do something very special with the United States in this generation. And he'll do it if his people will trust him. And God we trust. It is a motto, but it is a spiritual meaning. And I would like to think that it simply means holding a firm belief and agreement with the reliability of the truth 
and the safekeeping of what is under God's control, his will, and his plan. It is holding a firm belief and agreement with the reliability, the truth, and the safekeeping of what is under God's control, his will, and his plan. This psalm that we read, Psalm 56, it is a psalm of David. It's called a golden psalm. It was one of the psalms that he wrote when he was in extreme trouble, a psalm that literally got him out of trouble and helped deliver him in a great time of darkness. It was written during the time when he fled from King Saul and came to Philistine territory under King Achish. And while he was there, tradition says that Goliath's brothers, Goliath, the giant that David killed, his brothers knew of it, and they planned to kill him. You see, after David killed Goliath, after that great victory, many celebrated him, but then also enemies arose against him. And he had three great enemies after killing Goliath, the Philistines, Goliath's brothers, and his own father-in-law, King Saul. But through prayer, through dedication, through keeping a right heart, keeping a right spirit, and writing music and worship unto the Lord, David was able to praise his way out of trouble. He was able to sing his way out of dark days. He was able to believe and to prophesy that he would come through. And through this psalm, being in a dark place, he lived and arose to the throne of Israel because he trusted in God. He said, if I trust God, I will have no fear and no man can do anything to me. You see, when you have trust in God, it's very difficult to be afraid. That's, I think, one of the great antidotes of our generation now. Many live in fear, constant fear. I can see it on countenances. I can see it in people's voices. I can hear it in their words. People live in constant fear. But when you trust this God, you realize, I can't have everything in control in my life. But if I trust God, the things that I can't see in my peripheral vision, God is going to take care of me. Amen. And if you've got fear here today, I'm telling you, trust this God. Amen. He'll fight battles that you can't even see. He'll fight battles that you don't even know about. If you trust in him, something about it just makes him want to take care of it for you. Praise the Lord. And David survived among enemies roundabout, enemies within, enemies roundabout. And he feared no man because he knew the Lord was with him. It's hard to fear where there is trust. There's an old story, a legend that Pentecostal preachers have been saying for decades, and Bishop tells it too, and it's one of my favorites. There was uh, back in the 30s or 40s when we used to have camp meetings, not in a church building, but literally camp meeting, meaning living in tents, campfires, outhouses, <laughs> being under tents. There was this young man, a young aspiring preacher, and the, the elder, the bishop of the camp meeting came up to him and said, I think you should preach today. I feel like you should preach. And the young man said, well, I've never preached, and, and I, I've, never, I've, never done, I've never got up in front of people. I don't know if I have anything to say. And the elder said, you're going to preach this morning. He said, but I, I don't have a Bible. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have anything. I'm not prepared. He just put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, trust God, young man. He said, okay. So the young man started praying around the front in the altar area before everybody came out of their tents for the morning service. 
And he started praying and he said, God, I don't have a sermon ready. I don't have a Bible. I don't have any, anything ready to go. And I don't know what to say. You're going to have to really help me, God. I trust you, God. Just like the bishop said, trust you and I'm trusting you. And he looked and under one of the front chairs, there was a Bible. And he said, oh, I've got a Bible. And he opened up the Bible. And when you believe it, some sermon notes fell out of it. And he started reading it. And he said, this is a good sermon. I'm going to preach this. So he got up there that morning and he said, the bishop asked me to preach and this is what I'm going to preach. And he started to preach it. And before it was done, they were all shouting, talking in tongues. People were falling out. There was baptisms and people got the Holy Ghost. And he was just so wowed at how great the Lord moved because he trusted him. The bishop came up to that young man afterwards and he said, that was a great sermon. God did a lot of great things. There's one problem. I'm the afternoon speaker. That was my Bible that you picked up. And those were my notes that fell out. And you preached my sermon. What am I going to do? And the young preacher reached up and put his hands on the bishop's shoulder and he said, Trust God, bishop. And I remember when I was in Bible college, and uh, by, by, by the way, this sermon notes did not fall out of Bishop's Bible, just to let you know. <laughs> but maybe one day I will dig around back in there in his files and get up here and say, God showed me something, you know. You're right if I did. But I remember when I was in Bible college, we, uh, we had our own football team not organized, just a group of guys playing. And we made some friends with some of the neighborhood guys who played there at the, at the local school. And uh, they were athletic, those guys, strong, big, organized sports, had a great coach. They ran drills. And us Bible college guys, we were Bible thumpers, you know. You know we didn't know much about the game, but we were all good friends and we all got along. We didn't practice, but we were all in one mind and one accord. And all of those other guys that played in the neighborhood, those outside of the school that we were coming to play against, everybody was a legend in their own mind, you know. Didn't know how to play as a team. But all of them were bigger than us. All of them were stronger than us. And uh, I got all of my football-deprived life out there at the Bible College. And I was there uh, as a linebacker, I think. I don't know. I kind of floated all around the field wherever I could go. <laughs> but I remember we were down and we were losing and our team captain said, defense, we need you to pull through. And I remember looking at our captain and I said, trust us. And he looked at us and it was like a peace came over us. And all of a sudden our uh, offense started scoring points and we got ahead. And whenever we rallied back together, he said, I trust you, Gleason. I said, you can trust us. We started sacking that quarterback. We held him back, and we won that game. A bunch of Bible college boys against a bunch of high school and college kids there in the neighborhood. Simply because I said, trust us. And there was trust there in that team. And I think that's what happens a lot. You know, sometimes pitchers, when they're pitching a game, and uh, they start uh, walking guys or start you know, not throwing strikes, whatever. You sometimes see the catcher and the infield all gather around the pitcher. You know what's going on there? The first baseman is saying, trust your infield pitcher. Left fielder comes up and he says, trust your outfielder. Trust us. You throw, you pitch. You're not always going to throw strikes. You're not always going to strike them out. But trust us to do our part. And I think God is the same way 
in our team. We're worried about losing. We're worried about getting defeated. And God is up there saying, trust me. God is up there saying, you don't have to do it all yourself. You're not always going to be perfect, but you got to trust me to fill in the empty spaces in your life. Trust me in the areas you can't control. Trust me in the areas, amen, that only I can do. I've come to tell you, God is not dead, but he is alive and well, and he wants to work in the lives of the people, amen, that will trust him. Our early American forefathers depended totally upon God. The Revolutionary War, all of the history of it, you can read about it. It did not begin in our government, the ideas of possibly becoming a new nation. But you know where it began? The preachers. The preachers did. In the early 1700s, many European philosophers started speaking and developed a movement. They called it the Enlightenment the age of reason. They emphasized scientific, logical views of the world. They downplayed religion. And a lot of this spread from Europe across the Atlantic over here into the American colonies. And the preachers here of this land saw this and became very concerned. And they began to preach and to teach the word of God very hard and very stern and with a lot of truth to cause people to turn their eyes back to the Lord. In this time period, it was so powerful and so special, they called it the Great Awakening in our land. You've heard of Jonathan Edwards preached that famous message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He preached this often, that humans were sinners, that we were wicked, that we were evil, and we must repent before God because he is an angry judge, and only by that way can we find forgiveness. George Whitfield, who toured the colonies up and down on the Atlantic side, he had a lot of style in his preaching, was very theatrical and very expressive, and he would shout and tremble even while he preached about the power of God. Other leaders with this same purpose all had one goal in mind, and that was to awaken the Christian faith and turn a secular culture back to God. Amen. These preachers in the mid-1700s preached it hard, and people repented Granted, they didn't have all of the truth, but they were loyal to the truth that they had. And many turned to righteousness because the Bible says God will exalt a nation that turns to righteousness. And our nation grew and we flourished. But there was another message that the preachers preached to the people. And they introduced an idea of nationalism. Not globalism, but nationalism. And introduced the idea of supreme individual rights. And introduced even more this idea of the tyranny of Great Britain. It started with the preachers and the American statesmen started liking it too and things started to be getting to, things were put into place to start a new nation. July 4th, 1776, our forefathers declared independence from Great Britain and they wrote the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if you've ever read it. I encourage you to read it. It is fascinating, the ideology that they had in the making of our nation, and I want to read some portions of it to you today. The Declaration of the Independence of the United States of America, it acknowledges faith towards a supreme God. I didn't quote from the Bible. I quoted from the founding document of this nation. The Declaration of Independence of the United States of America acknowledges faith towards a supreme God 
who created mankind, his laws, his judgment, and his divine providence. All 56 Americans who began to sign this declaration risked death by hanging if their revolution failed. These forefathers that wrote this, they understood that it was God, not man, who was responsible for supplying them with these rights. They were not mere peasants, but they were great men of ideas with a great plan and a purpose and had the favor of God upon their life. They said in our declaration concerning the king of Britain, they said he has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws from the naturalization of foreigners. He is refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither and raising the conditions of the new appropriations of the lands. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and to eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade in all parts of the world, for imposing taxes upon us without consent, for depriving us in many cases the benefit of a trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burned our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, to conclude peace, to contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states must do and have the right to do. And the support for this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Mm. That's the words of our forefathers, calling upon the supreme judge of the world, depending upon him totally for divine providence. This document is articulate. You read about it, the culture surrounding it, the times and seasons that they were in, there was still inside of them a great uncertainty. They knew they could do everything possible by revolting, by creating a government, by creating a culture, by creating an army, but still Great Britain was greater than the colonies. They had to trust this God to help them to win and to have victory. And boy, did he ever. On August 27, 1776, the British forces gathered together against Washington, the United States of America, New York City. The colonists were greatly, greatly outnumbered. We were ill-equipped. We were poorly trained. 
We were trapped with no escape by river or by sea via the British warships. It was raining. Britain was closing in on us to end that war very, very quickly. That morning, the atmosphere being perfectly clear, miraculously out of nowhere, at an unusual time of year, a thick fog began to cover the, uh, the, um, the United States Army, the Continental Army. And while that fog covered us, there was 9,000 of us that were able to miraculously retreat away from the British. And that was the beginning of our great victory that would come sometime later. Many similar events like this happened during the war. It was just as the forefathers wrote and as they prayed, we need God's divine providence. They trusted God in the time when the enemy was all around them, when they were outnumbered, God pulled through and did what only he could do. On this day, July 4th or this week, we are going to celebrate 247 years of existence because we had patriots that fought for their God, their lives, their family, their land, their freedom, and their political views. Many American civilians rallied together in unity, loyalty, and patriotism. We had to. We had to use guerrilla warfare, these tactics that the British did not understand. We did have medicine to combat smallpox and other diseases that the British did not have. We did fight in our own homeland, and we lived off of it. The British did not know this land and did not know how to survive in it. We used the strategy of retreat to wear out the British. We lost more battles than we won. There are many things that we did that were very smart and a lot of wisdom, and the Lord helped us with that. You must understand this. We shouldn't have won. We shouldn't have. We had less money than the British. We had a lot less soldiers than the British. We had a lot less supplies. We didn't have as many weapons, and so much more we lacked than they. Britain was a great giant, just like Goliath, and we were just like David that little shepherd boy. But you know what? We had men and women who knew how to get a hold of God back then and trusted him. It was a people that submitted to the preacher, stayed in touch with their church and lived righteously. And it was almighty God, our supreme judge that looked down and through divine providence helped us in so many ways during that war, supernaturally, miraculously. And this great nation was born. I say all of this to tell you, Life Church, God has earned the trust of the United States of America. He has earned our trust. I've heard that my whole life from my father, our pastor, Justin. You can never expect people to just trust you. It has to be earned. And that's the way we all think and we all act. Yes, we love one another. Yes, we're kind to each other. But trust is something that is earned. And I've looked at history, and I've looked at my Bible, and I'm here to tell you I trust this God in heaven for the United States of America. He's helped us win. He has helped us overcome. We are such a young nation, but we have won, and we have overcome and become a superpower in the earth, not by our own might, not by our own skill, but only through God's almighty divine providence does this nation exist. Amen. It's God. It's God. We've got great business. We've had hardworking people. We've had great political leaders. But it was not our own doing that made this nation great. It was great because of prayer. 
It was great because of righteousness. It was great because God Almighty gave it to us. And I'm here to remind the United States of America, never forget what made us great. It was the great God of heaven. It was the great Lord of heaven that gave us this country. This country is a nation. It's like any nation. But more than any other nation in the world, our country parallels the nation of Israel that the Lord God raised up, and he's not done with that country yet. You think about this. Israel left Egypt, came out of bondage, and crossed the Red Sea. America, for the most part, the United States, came out of oppression in Europe for religious freedom, and they crossed the Atlantic. Israel, we think of it as being 12 tribes, but really it was 13 tribes. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, and Levi. 13 of them. And here in the United States, we formed and began with 13 colonies. Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Virginia. The kingdom of Israel, it began at the crowning of King David, who ruled 40 years, and then King Solomon, who ruled for 40 years. After 80 years of David and his son's leadership, after those 80 years, the nation of Israel divided between north and south. The United States of America follows the same pattern. We officially gained our independence through the winning of the Revolutionary War in 1781. You count 80 years after that in 1861. That was the year that the United States divided between north and south. Israel began to be deceived after the splitting and began to be surrounded by pagan nations and they welcomed them into their land and forgot about their own laws. And I've seen that happen, that pattern here in America. We are forgetting about our law and our morality and we are being deceived by the nations round about forgetting about the greatness and the foundation of what God gave us in this land. God allowed Israel to go into captivity. He took his hand off of them because they quit trusting in him. And then Messiah came. And who knows, here in the United States of America, what God may do to bring us back to him. I would like to think that we have one more great revival before Messiah comes. Praise the Lord. God allowed Israel in three major ways to suffer to go through hard times, but it was all God's doing to get their attention back on him. He would allow them to have national leaders who made horrible decisions. As a result, the nation of Israel would suffer. Oftentimes, their leaders, they made decisions that were so destructive, it caused Israel to go into debt, into distress, and be discontented. The nation would also fall into captivity to other nations, that eventually would steal Israel's economic foundation, invade their land, and bring them to an all-time low. But every time they, they did this, the people would cry out, and God would hear them and spare them. I read my Bible, and you know what I'm seeing? A lot of the same patterns of Israel exist here in America. And I think what God is wanting from his people is to turn to him and trust him. That is what will heal our land. That is what will save our nation from the enemies within and the enemies without. That is what the church can do for this nation. That is what we can do. We can be the people of righteousness that keeps the hand of God upon this 
country, praise the Lord. I remember on New Year's Eve 2019, everybody was so excited about the year of 2020 vision, and everybody was so looking forward to a great decade, the 20s, the great decade of vision and destiny. And I remember inside of my mind and heart, and I'm not ever trying to be a spoil sport, but inside I knew something is coming. Something's coming. I knew, you know, God's coming back, but things were good in America in that time, 2019. The economy was good, things were good, housing market, all of those things. Things were relatively good for the land, but I knew something was coming. I heard a lot of rumors about a virus that was coming out of China. I really didn't believe it. I'm just kind of one of those guys, if I get sick, you know, pray in Jesus' name, take a Tylenol, take a nap, and I'm ready to go. Amen. Praise the Lord. But uh, I'll never forget here in this church, many of you were here on Sunday, March 15th, 2020. It was our last on-site service before quarantine. It was our youth revival with evangelist Tyler Sullivan. And uh, there was rumors that lockdowns were coming, and sure enough, they did. I remember that entire week being so scared and so concerned. I thought, this is the end. This is the apocalypse this coronavirus, this COVID-19 is the beginning of the great sorrows. We're in the tribulation right now. I got to thinking, I don't have a nuclear bunker. I don't have gallons of distilled water. I don't have beans. I thought about calling all the Y2K people. Can you give me some of your stuff that's in your basement? I remember being so fearful and Bishop and our staff and some of our leaders met and we decided we're not going to resist the authorities, but we are going to go into lockdown. And we are going to have to have online church. I remember being so concerned about that and so fearful about that and worried about my family, worried about this church, worried about Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas, all of the states, the whole United States, and worried about the world, what is going to happen. And I remember on Sunday, March 22nd, I've talked about it, I've spoken about it, and I am writing about it. And even just this week, somebody asked me about this, and I feel to share it with you again. It was on Sunday, March 22nd, the year 2020. I was asleep and I felt a tapping on my shoulder. And I woke up, I thought maybe one of my children needed me or perhaps I'd slept in and my wife was waking me up. When I opened my eyes, it was dark. The sun had not come up. And an angel of the Lord stood by me on my bedside and the word of the Lord came to me saying that some will die, but most will live. After 60 days, the church shall regather there will be three pandemics and some say four. And the vision ended. It took me a while to realize what had happened. I thought, I, I thought it was a dream, I don't know, but I, after some time in prayer, I realized that it was a vision of the Lord. And when I got to service that morning, I told Bishop about it. I told Brother Nathan Santo Mary about it. I told several others that were here. I said, I feel it from God that in 60 days we're going to regather. And that word came to pass, sadly, some did die, but most of us did live. From Monday... Thursday, that was the 60th day. 60 days did pass, and we regathered together here on Sunday, May 17th. The word of the Lord being fulfilled, praise the Lord. Word of the Lord being fulfilled, praise the Lord. I got to tell you, that was an uncertain time, wasn't it? 
I know some of you were scared and huddled, and we even still have people that are huddling in their house. We love all of you. God bless you. Thanks for watching online. Some of you didn't care at all. You didn't think of it as a virus at all. You were ready to, you know, like I like to say, lick the door handles of the church. You didn't care. Some of us were afraid. Some of us didn't care. Whatever your conviction was, it was an uncertain time here in the world. I've come to tell you, think about it just that quickly, the chaos that happened. And we're still feeling the effects of it here in the world. Everything has changed, and it'll be a while before we get back to normal. The Word said to me that there would be three pandemics. Some would say four. I've wondered about that. You know, we had three outbreaks of COVID-19 here in this church from the time of the lockdown to this day, three outbreaks. And you know, we even had one back uh, around Christmas time. Several people in this church got sick and the description that they gave of their symptoms sounded a lot like COVID-19. So we may very well have had four. It could mean that, but it could also have meant the variants that came from COVID-19. Not only that, it could be referring to time. That was my initial thought on that, that after about three or four years, we would never hear about it ever again. And that is happening. We haven't heard about it in a, in a while. I bring all of this up to you today to tell you that I've been praying and trying my best to hear from God for what he intends to do in this church and here in the earth. And for months and weeks now, ever since February, I keep hearing the Lord saying to me, trust me. And I'm like, God, I want more than that. I want another angel to appear to me and wake me up and tell me how many days and this and that and the other. And God is saying, trust me. <laughs> you know what that means? You're not going to see nothing. You're not going to hear nothing. You keep doing what you know to do, and I'm going to do only what I can do and sit back and watch my wonders. We're in a time of war in the earth, but mostly rumors of wars. You watch the news, you know what I'm seeing? It's the spirit of Antichrist rising up to weaken nations. Lawlessness is everywhere. The spirit of sloth is everywhere. I see it. Businesses that used to be thriving I walk up and the sign says, we're closing early because of the lack of workers. I'm seeing it everywhere. The spirit of sloth, people staying at home and not getting up and working. We'll see how long that lasts. The spirit of perversion is in the earth. The spirit of offense is in the earth. And we're all sitting here wondering, God, what are we going to do? You know what he's saying? Trust me. If in the 1700s, this teaching, this idea of enlightenment, that God is dead, that science is the answer, that the world began through explosion and then evolution, and everybody began to believe that. We became a godless society, and the preacher stood up and said, oh, no, God is our creator. God is supreme, and we need to watch out for what this tyrannical government is doing to this land. If the preachers could do that and see a great awakening here in America, how much more so can it happen here in 2023? You haven't heard about it in a while, Asbury Revival. Where is it? It was quick. It did a lot for a lot of people. It was so inspiring, but where is it? I don't know where it is. 
But I've come to tell you, this church has been having revival since the 50s. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven because of what the life church did. There's going to be a lot of people stand before God and he's going to say, ah, you were baptized in that tank at 10 400 View High Drive. Ah, you got the Holy Ghost there at 10 400 View High Drive. We're having revival. And it's getting bigger. And it's getting better. You know why? Because we trust God for it. We'll do what we can do. We'll show up and do our work and our systems and our process and our prayers and all of those things. But you know what? Ultimately, we have got to trust God for these things. So I've come to ask you today, Live Church Americans, I'm so glad you love him. I'm so glad you worship him. I'm so glad you adore him. I'm so glad you believe he can do anything, but what he wants today is your trust. He wants to know if you can take a step back and let him do what only he can do. And you say, God, I truly believe in you and trust you. I'm going to stop fighting my own battles. I'm going to quit trying to get even. I'm going to quit seeking vengeance. And I'm going to let you step in and be God of my life. Because you know what? We're up against something big in this world. The darkness that is in this day. As it were, like our forefathers, we're outnumbered. They got more money than us. They got bigger this than us. They have more of this than us. But you know what? We've got something that they don't, and that is a God that we can trust. Like the Bible said, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust the name of the Lord to give us victory in battle. Praise the Lord. The Lord has earned our trust. He's been too good to us. He has been too good to the United States of America for us not to trust him. Don't give up on God. Don't think he has turned his back on America. I know we're wicked. I know some of you are really concerned about it, but you've got to believe God has still got a purpose and a plan here for this country. You know why? Because the church of the living God is still here in this country and the church is on the move. The church is on fire. The church hasn't given up. The church still has hope. The church still has faith and the church still has love for God to do something great in this country before he returns. Oh, can you clap your hands under the Lord? Praise God. Let's all stand. There are patriots in this room. But even more powerful than that, there are patriots who pray for this country in this room. I'll never forget one uh, Sunday. We, it was a patriotic Sunday and the American flag was up here and we were really worried about the country. The talks of war and the economy and this and that and morality. And I looked up and I saw a group of about 10 men gathering around that flag, had their hands on that flag. The flag was practically rocking back and forth as men began to pray. And I can't remember exactly what it was. We were all praying. It was all silent. Probably something political. I don't know. But I just remember something turned for the better here in this country. I believe God hears the prayers of the church not only for people but for governments and for nations and for powers. I've talked to you about it before. I'm going to close with this. I want to remind you of something. The great man of God, a prophet, Thomas Willis Barnes, T.W. Barnes, he said back in the 60s concerning America, God gave him a vision 
prophecy. God said to him, I have raised up this land and this people so quickly to fulfill my will for three reasons. Number one, it is to finance world missions. You think about that when you go overseas and you see a missionary, what nation are they from? Some here from Germany, some here from Australia, but for the most part, it is always an American that is there as a missionary. That's why God raised us up, missionaries all throughout the world, and we got some of them here today, praise God. Secondly, God wanted us to protect and to befriend Israel. You ever go to the Truman Library? It's so neat to see a president right here from Independence, Missouri. You know, I heard a joke, I guess, from the old days in Independence. If Independence felt like Kansas City or Lee Summit or Raytown, whatever was messing with them, they said, we dropped the A-bomb then, we'll drop an A-bomb on you now. Don't mess with us. Is that right, Independence? <laughs> Don't mess with us. <laughs> right. Harry Truman from Independence, Missouri. He was the first there for the United Nations to stand up and say, I believe that Israel needs to be a state back in the 1940s. God has used this country to be a close ally, to be a friend to Israel, and he has blessed us for it. And lastly, God raised us up to be a nation that would combat through our armed forces, nations who were full of Antichrist, the Antichrist trying to arise before its time. God has used this great nation to do those things. God will keep a nation alive as long as it's useful for his will and his plan. Never, ever quit supporting missions. Never, ever quit loving Israel. And never, never quit being the force that prays against the Antichrist. That is what will keep this nation alive. I wonder if there's anybody here today before we celebrate with food and fireworks and all of those things on this Sunday. If there's anybody here that wants to intercede for this land and this nation. If there's anybody here that wants to just call out to God for a country that you love. Anybody here, amen, that you've got a burden for this land and this people. For their salvation and their well-being. This altar is open today for intercession, like our forefathers did of old, who called out to the Lord for divine providence, who called out to the Lord of the Supreme Judge saying, we can't do it without you. We can't win a war without you. We can't have a crop without you. We can't overcome sickness without you. We can't be a people. We can't be a land without you. Come on, the nation needs it. Who'll stand in the gap for this nation? I wonder if there's today like a Puritan preacher who will rise up and say, we're going to be righteous. Some of you, maybe you've got a burden to repent of your sins today. Amen. The Lord will forgive and you'll be blessed for it. Some father, some mother today, you've been looking at your home, looking at your kids and realizing sin is creeping into my home. And the Lord has pulled upon your heart to get the sin out of your life and to turn back to righteousness. Come on, somebody, don't give up on the American dream. Don't give up on the American dream to prosper, to be blessed, to have success. This is the greatest land of opportunity. And God can bless you, amen, through America. Get a hold of God for your company. Get a hold of God for the business you want to start. Come on, somebody, raise up a mighty voice right now for the United States. Hallelujah. This is a nation that wins through God. This is a nation that has victory through God. We've got the greatest food. We've got the greatest culture. We've got the greatest sports. There's nothing like America. But let me tell you, it all goes away if we turn away from God. God is not dead. Don't be dead to him, but be alive in him. Hallelujah. Come on, get a hold of God for the United States. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
You brought us through COVID. You're going to bring us through these rumors of war. You brought us through dark times. You're bringing us into revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Life Church wants to play its part in this time and season. We're going to make disciples. We're going to love the sinner. We're going to be patient with them. We're going to teach and preach righteousness. Hallelujah. America's coming back to God. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. Another revival is coming in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.